Thank you guys for coming out this morning. And uh, have you noticed uh, the, the deadness of the sound? It's a little bit. You guys are probably going to lose your voices a lot. But you're just going to have to sing just loud, sing loud, right? <laughs> that just kind of kind of stops. But uh, getting used to it, getting used to this. We've been in that big uh, the room that had the the big vaulted ceiling and such, and boy, the sound just kind of went all over everywhere. And of course, it was really loud there, but. Sometimes they project our voices. We might have to give you a microphones or something, huh? <laughs> anyway, as we turn to our Bibles this morning, see, at least I have some reverb. As we turn to our Bibles, we're going to focus our attention again on the person and work of Christ. You'd never believe that, would you? Our uh, text last week was emphasizing uh, forgiveness of sins. Christ has authority in forgiving sin. He is the one who forgives sins, isn't He? And, of course, He proved that authority by doing a supernatural miracle. Uh, Quite a healing that He did. This week, we're going to see that forgiveness is given to people who recognize their wretchedness. The wretched, uh, wretched sinfulness of mankind is acknowledged before Christ. They see that they need Him. They need His grace. And so they follow the call that is given to them. It's because they know they really have a need. And somehow, somewhere along the line, in the next week or so, I'm going to figure out what is wrong with my mic stand. Because <laughs> it just wants to go like that. Evidently, it says, I'm speaking too loud. Am I too loud? <laughs> the grace that Christ gives to sinners is actually a scandal. You ever thought about that? It's a scandal. Because he was a friend of sinners. That's what we're going to see this week. He was a, The religious leaders saw that, and that was just not a cool thing to do. To give uh, grace, to, to, to be a friend of somebody who was considered to be wicked and evil. The problem that they didn't understand, with, they were sinners too. That's the problem. That's the problem with most people. Most people don't really recognize that they are really sinners against the Holy God. They never did see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as righteous. Of course, they were self-righteous, and that's the way that they are. But they did not have the righteousness of Christ. And that is the only kind of righteousness that we can, we can have. Um, they thought they merited salvation. Of course, that's a works-based salvation. That's what we encounter constantly with people, regardless of what religion they're from, whether it be Christendom or whether it be from Eastern religions or no religion, atheism, whatever. Uh, They think they merit something. Well, Jesus comes into the scene and He turns everything upside down, especially on these religious leaders. Uh, the, The rabbis used to say this, you don't even go near a sinner even so much as to teach the law to the sinner. You don't even get close to them. You get away from them. Uh, The parable of uh, Luke 18 where you have the Pharisee and the tax collector. and Of course, the Pharisee is saying, thank you, Lord, for I'm not like that man over there. And, you know, he's uh, really bringing his own self-righteousness up. And he prays to uh, that way, God, I am not like other people, uh, like these swindlers, like the unjust, like the adulterers and uh, the tax collectors, which is the one we're going to feature on today. There was nothing but disdain for sinners by these religious leaders. Can you imagine that? No grace whatsoever 
was offered to them. No good news. And so they were in the category of what a real sinner was about. They were not, at least so they thought. Jesus was, was comfortable as He got around sinners. You know, He not only spoke to them, but He befriended them. And He even chose them to follow Him in His ministry. Imagine that. So that's the glory of the Gospel, folks. And that's a scandal to most people. It's a stumbling block. The glory of the Gospel is not that God gives salvation to people who are good or who are earned, but He gives salvation to people who do not. They realize they're not good enough. And they realize that they are the ungodly. And of course, He's the one that reveals that to them too. A scandal of grace scandalizes every works righteousness system that there is. And that's including people who are... uh, Evangelical Christians even, who add something as to salvation. It's, it's got to be a little bit of something. 99% God, 1% them. The essence of the Gospel is the scandalous grace that Jesus would be a friend of sinners, sinners who are helpless. They're ungodly. They're dead. They have no spiritual bone in them and they recognize their need. Jesus picks out one of the most hated individuals in Israel, because of the job that he had, being that tax collector. And then he calls him to follow him, and then the man invites him to his house, and he dare goes in to this man's house who has other people in there just like him who are sinners, and he turns out to be the physician that heals people spiritually as they recognize their need. They are sick. They're more than sick. They're dead. They're depraved. And they have a terrible, awful sin nature before a holy God. So let's go see our physician, Dr. Jesus, if we can say that. Let's stand up. Let's uh, honor God's Word as we stand and, and we get the privilege of reading it. Don't ever take the Word of God just for granted. Right? We are people who all have Bibles. Plenty of them. Starting at uh, verse 13. Mark chapter 2. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, help us to see who we are. And help us to see who You are. And that we would know clearly that we are people in desperate need of Your grace and mercy constantly. And as You have given us faith, thank You that we can be at ease in the fact of who we are in being placed into the very person of Christ, into the body of Christ as He resides in us. And for that, we give You praise and glory. And now may we get a better understanding of how Your great plan works 
and how you bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We, uh, right there at verse 13, we see that uh, Christ is going to have another clash with the religious leaders. And it's about Him forgiving sin. He's already had that clash already, as we saw last week, where there was a man that was brought down by ropes, by his friends, up on the roof, and he went right before Jesus there on that pallet. And uh, Jesus said immediately to him, What? Your sins are forgiven. Didn't heal him right on the spot. He rather told him that his sins are forgiven. That's the most important thing, is it not? So that is what happened. And then Jesus showed that his sins were forgiven by doing this amazing supernatural miracle. The power of Christ was, was seen by these people. And he said... There is forgiveness of sin. Christ did that. So he gets into another round with the religious leaders and it's about hanging around sinners. How else uh, are people going to come into the kingdom unless somebody goes to those lost people no matter how desperately bad they look. um, They need to be shown how they can be there in the kingdom. So he actually befriends this individual and calls him to follow him. I think that's rather remarkable. Jesus, the teacher, and he's out making himself available to anyone in the sense of as he walks around uh, along the seashore, he'll be on the hillsides, all over Galilee. He's doing this now. We know that he has been in Capernaum, and that it was the house uh, where he was at. Uh, in Capernaum, uh, it was, uh, I think it was Peter's house, Peter and Andrew, and uh, it's like a headquarters. And so he's been there for uh, a little bit, and he goes out from there. Now you have a big crowd, and you think, well, okay, what Jesus uh, is going to do is get away from the crowd again. Well, what he's going to do is he's going to get into a different kind of crowd, and some maybe some of the crowds that's been hanging around him. But as he goes to the seashore, people just flock to him. Everywhere he goes, people know that that's Jesus. Hey, there he is. All it takes is one one person saying that. And of course, knowing that, Jesus goes out to make Himself viewable and uh, actually reachable. Uh, He goes out of the house seeking to get people to come to Him so He can teach them. Um, He did much of His ministry outdoors. We know what happens when He's indoor. Uh, You can only get so many people there. It's so jam-packed that the... uh, the doors can't even open. <laughs> People can't get in. And so this is just incredibly crazy at this time. So he goes out and where you have a seashore of the lake, the only boundary you really have is the lake there. And often he would uh, get into a boat sometimes. Um, and teach there as the people would be out on the seashore. Or get on the hillsides, he would be down below. And as he preached, like, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, you can go there today and they'll show you about where he probably would have been. It's a uh, natural uh, sounding board, really. It's a great place uh, to be able to project your voice. And uh, he didn't have any amplifiers or not. His voice must have been just uh, awesomely loud to be able to cover it. But those uh, natural amphitheaters is what he used a lot to be able to project 
and to be able to teach thousands, literally thousands. And of course, I think of uh, George Whitfield. That man actually spoke before literally thousands. Uh, some people say 20, maybe even 30,000 people that he was able to preach to. Can you imagine that gift that he was given? So you wouldn't want to be right up in front with his voice going. You know, people could be standing back as far as hundreds of yards, hundreds of yards, and still hear him. Well, Jesus had no trouble, I'm sure, bringing out his message and people hearing him. Seashore, great place to attract people, especially if it's a nice day out there. Didn't matter; the crowds are going to be coming anyway, and uh, they're all bringing themselves to him, bringing others to him. And they were constantly coming in big numbers. And he went out again by the seashore. He's been there often. It's very, very close to where um, Peter and Andrew live and the headquarters is at. And all the people were coming to him. They kept coming. And that's the tense of uh, the verb there. They kept on coming. It it wasn't just like one crowd got there and boom, that was it. Like we got here at a certain time and that's basically all we're going to have here today. They just kept coming, kept filing in, filing in. And uh, they're pressing on and, and Jesus is right there probably really close to the uh, the lake. Um, what is He preaching? What is He teaching? Well, that's too obvious. That's uh, what we've already seen. If you look back in chapter 1, verse 14, this is what He came here for. Uh, now, after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God. And He never stopped that. That's what it's about. That's what it is all about. The Gospel of God is still being proclaimed. That's what uh, we're here for. And uh, we know later He says, this is what I came here for in chapter 1 of verse 37 or verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else. Okay, we've been here long enough. Let's go to some other people. Let's go to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. That's really what it's all about. How how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher, right? As Romans 10 says. This is why he's here. Now, it's interesting as he's been on the seashore, he teaches there, and what he does next is like he kind of goes back towards Capernaum, and the seashore and Capernaum really close, but he's kind of going back to that area uh, probably, and as he's doing that, the reason I say probably, because this is dealing with a tax collector booth. Uh, Capernaum would have been a great place to collect taxes. Uh, It's a very populated area, Um, and uh, it's a crossroads. It's a great place. I mean, as far as the the north and the south, and uh, of course the east, as far as people even on the lake, you know, they're doing uh, business with them. And even further, of course, you have uh, um, the the sea that that is out uh, out on the uh, west. And so uh, you've got people coming there and Jesus is heading to Capernaum and there's a man there that you would be least likely to expect that Jesus would even want to say hello to this man. You know, This man is not a nice individual. 
He's not the kind of person that anybody would want to just hang around. You stay away from these guys. As a matter of fact, for one reason, you don't want to pay any more taxes. But I want to tell you, this is a divine appointment. I always liked in John 4 where uh, Jesus said, uh, I must needs to go to Samaria because there was a woman there that was at a well that he was going to meet. And he knew that there was a time period perfectly when he was going to be there, she was going to be there. God set it up. It's all part of the plan. And of course, we know what happened as he confronted her with her sins and really showed her forgiveness of sins, of the sin that, uh, sins that she was involved with. And then she spread it out to the rest of the people that she... Uh, lived with or around and uh, now he's going to run into this Levi and he's going to call him to follow him as he passed by he saw Levi this is not an accident but he sees this Levi and you say well who's Levi Levi is Matthew and Matthew never refers to himself as Levi and in the list of the apostles I think you will see the word Matthew there but here he's called Levi and I have to wonder that because of what happened here he's a tax collector he's Levi and then uh, maybe uh, after that he gets to thinking I'm a tax collector uh, formerly I'm not anymore I don't want to be Levi because people know me and that gets this could be dangerous going all over the place they'll recognize me my name is now Matthew. Now, Jesus might have uh, changed that, but uh, uh, I think it's dealing with a, a gift of God. And, of course, he got a gift uh, from God in uh, this salvation that happened here. So, anyway, this is a great logical place uh, to be. You have uh, um, tax collections because uh, you have transportations that are actually coming from the sea to land routes. Jesus is going to do this unthinkable thing at this tax booth. A lot of things going on here. You know, crowds are all around. And so we have to see where this, this Matthew comes into uh, to play. This is the one who wrote that great gospel of Matthew eventually. But he was a tax collector and God allows him, has him to write a gospel. 28 chapters about the king. Wow. So... Quits his business, and we, as we see here, and we're going to talk a little bit about the profession that he was in. Tax collectors, and sometimes we may have a little bit of disdain, especially at this time of the year, for the tax collectors, but not so much like what the Jews had for the tax collectors then, and especially for who was doing the tax collecting. You have the Romans, for one thing, who are running the show on this. And they hate the Romans anyway. And to pay money to them would probably get at you a little bit, wouldn't it? And then you have your own people sometimes collecting the taxes that are Jews. They are traitors to you. So you can imagine how this man was much hated. I'm surprised he lived as long as he did. I don't know how long he had his business, but he had it long enough to be a rich man. Um... Tax collectors were known to be extortioners, robbers, thieves, outcasts. They were greedy. Yeah, they're tax collectors. They were greedy. They wanted the money. They were abusive to people. Usury is what they would be practicing on people. So uh, you get back to the Romans. Uh, they would have sheer power and uh, you know force in this land. Uh, the the Jews were underneath them. We know that there were puppet kings. 
You remember Herod? And possibly uh, Herod Antipas would have had a lot to play in this collection, uh, collection of the taxes. Uh, it was in the Tetrarchy of Herod Antipas. Rome offers these tax franchises to people. And if you have enough money, you can buy a franchise. And evidently, this man, Levi, has enough money to start with to get this franchise. And you don't want to lose your franchise because you're going to make a lot of money out of this deal. So you uh, uh, are going to make a fortune if you stay in there long enough. And to do that, you have to get the taxes for the Roman government and uh, all the things that uh, they're going to to take. Um, It's not only just money. There are other things that they they can take. But uh, most of them are going to overcharge because they have to make a living. So anything that you charge in the taxes, anything over and above is what the tax collector gets. So he can uh, kind of make up the figures as it goes along, depending on who's there and how much they might have, and how much force that he might have behind him as far as physical force. So the collector would keep whatever he could get, and uh, he could do very well, especially if he had a little bit of a dishonest bone in his body. Uh, you can imagine, if you were Jewish, and there's a Jewish man collecting money for the Roman government, and they're taking it from you, and they're taking a lot of extra money from you. <laughs> I imagine you've felt that way sometimes, right? <laughs> Tax collectors valued money. That's their life. That's what it's about. That's the way that our system is here in this country. Our world is about money. It seems to revolve around money. Over everything else is what it was about. So the Romans are idolaters. The Romans are hated by the Jews. The Gentiles, they are unclean. There's a general hatred for Herod Antipas. A non-Jew, really. And here's someone who has sold his soul to the Gentiles and he's considered now to be unclean for the sake of extorting money and for not being Jewish anymore. Tax collectors are the bad guys. They're bad. The worst of the worst. You might uh, remember that uh, little video that was on YouTube. John Piper was on there and they had a little song behind him and he kept saying, I'm bad. I'm bad. You know, they keep coming up. I'm bad. Remember that? Bad, bad. I'm bad. Well, it was part of a message, but what they did, they kept repeating that. It's it kind of humorous in a way. I, and I think Piper, uh, it was okay with him. you know. And then, of course, they had some of the other guys in there. I think they had people like uh, MacArthur and Sproul and such. And they were really talking about the depravity of man. So basic of a uh, principal doctrine, but you can't miss it. It has to be brought out. Uh, going on a little bit more on the taxes, and sorry to keep hitting on that, but <laughs> so we can identify with this. There's two kinds of tax, and one of them we definitely recognize: a general tax, come down to you know, like your property tax, uh, your income tax, uh, sales tax, state tax, whatever. You know, we're familiar with that kind. And then there are duties. Duty taxes, and we're familiar with that. Estate taxes, you know, when, when we die, that comes into play. And uh, the, the duty taxes upon their trade that they, w- they would have. Um, kind of interesting, there uh, are these people called the Gabii. Kind of a fitting name, isn't it? 
And this is where the money went, the, the Gabii guys. Uh, they would take the money on a regular basis and you would have a, a, a kind of a tax collector called the mokes, okay? And, and, and translating from the Greek, uh, mokes, something like that, they, they would put a tax on everything, okay? Import tax, export tax, transport tax, tolls on roads, bridges, uh, the harbor, tolls just everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. Anything on wheels would be taxed. And so I guess that meant the donkeys with, with their legs. They would probably be taxed too. You know, who knows? Everything. Everything's taxed. Animals were taxed. Packages, letters. Well, that's kind of like today, isn't it? Right? That sounds kind of familiar. Anyway, you have these great mokes that would collect that. And they, these guys are the ones that would live way up on the hill in the great big mansion up there. And, I mean, uh, there were so many of the great mokes. They were in charge of all this. These guys were just loaded. And then you have the little mokes. And that's what Levi is. And you say, oh, he's the, he's the little guy. Well, in a way, compared to the great moke, but he did all right. He did okay for himself. Did very well, as a matter of fact. Little mokes are down in the booth. The other guys are up on the hill where nobody can go get to them. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, you, you know these guys uh, hatred. They're gonna they're gonna get that in as they have these booths here. People are gonna be saying things to them, you know, kind of like what football players and basketball players do to each other, you know, as they uh, somebody scores a point on them, you know, and then they really rib it into them. And well, there's a lot of scorn here, and. Uh, it's probably not a safe place for a tax collector, but um, that's what he does. And he would have a lot of people around him that would kind of be the thugs, and they would make sure that they collect the money from people. And they wouldn't be too nice with people. You can imagine what would happen. You see those in the movies all the time, right? So if you have the right kind of thug, you can get the right kind of money that you want out of people. A little bit extra bucks there. And nobody in their right mind, especially from the religious angle, would ever want to even talk to a tax collector. So you can see. Have you got that picture now? I probably spent way much time over this. But Matthew needs to recognize his sin. And that's the point. And Jesus knows that. He knows that he has a job that's not reputable. And he knows he does corruption. And he knows that he's a wretch. And he's hopeless. See, he's been kicked out of the synagogue. (laughs) I mean, there's no way they're going to let him in. They don't let text collectors and sinners into the synagogue anyway. Hmm. See what we're getting at here. Um, Jesus says something that is just staggering. Follow me. After knowing all this now, this is, uh, I want to tell you, this is a command. And it's not just a command. In the Greek here, it's an explicit command. There is no doubt about it. Jesus is saying, follow me, as he's going to get a result. 
And of course, we, we've already read this, and we've read this many times, probably heard it many times, heard this story time and time again, but it doesn't get old, does it? As we look into God's Word and see this truth and we see this Jesus, it's just amazing. Most people hated Him. And Jesus says, I want you to be a part of my traveling group and I want you to minister with me. Now, He's not really saying that. He says, follow me, but that's what He's going to do. For the next three and a half years, He's going to learn how to follow Christ. Amazing. And you remember the leper? He was a despised man. Remember, he was so cast out that the lepers were not people that people would want to be around. Matter of fact, they were not to be around them. It was a law that you would not get close to them. And so, the leper was kind of as an outcast, just like the tax collector is an outcast, only he's outcast even further, if you, if you may, in, a, in one sense. Jesus healed that leper. And we know there was forgiveness of sins there, it seems. So, Jesus goes to people who seem to be not popular. They seem to be the people that don't deserve Jesus to be around. Uh, he goes to the despised people, the worst of the despised. Jesus, is he known in Capernaum? Do you think everybody knows Jesus? Yeah, everybody has seen Jesus there. He has done many miracles. Well known. Do you think Levi probably knows Jesus? And I, it doesn't say here. I don't want to read into the text. Uh, you know, you start, you get possibilities. It's interesting that to think that maybe somewhere along the line, Levi just by maybe just a little bit of wondering what's going on, maybe checked in on maybe a couple of uh, Jesus's sermons and and uh, healings. I have to think that uh, maybe he was, who knows, maybe cut already by some of the things that Jesus said. Maybe he didn't understand all what that meant, but uh, Levi knew about what was going on. There's no way that you could live in this land and not know about Jesus. Everybody knew. Matter of fact, Capernaum is condemned uh, over other cities and even Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember. So, uh, you know, I, I brought that up about every week, but because of the position they had and all the privileges of having Jesus right in the middle of them healing hundreds, thousands. And they know about it. Everybody knew. They knew He did that. With privileges come responsibilities. Our actions follow conversion. And of course, we see it whenever there's a true conversion. We see it, of course, we'll see it in the life of Matthew, won't we? We'll see it in the life of Peter. Andrew and Peter, James, John, all of them, and the people who followed them who were converted. Well, here's where we get into the irresistible call, and I couldn't help but bring that out. Is that okay? This is an irresistible call. Follow me, Matthew, boom. I mean, immediately. And you know, this is interesting. Mark didn't put that word there this time. You know how how often we've been saying that? And I'm wondering, no, this is fun. He could have said, okay, I put enough immediately in there. I can't put that one in there this time. He got up and followed him. But it, 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 was, it was quick in the sense that Levi answers the call of Jesus. He left everything 
this is a lucrative business. And he left it all. And I want to tell you something. Once you leave that business and the Roman government, you're done. You're not going to be coming back and doing this again. He knows that. Matter of fact, somebody is going to offer uh, uh, money or how much it's going to take to get this franchise. And I'm sure there were plenty of people who probably were waiting in line to get this franchise. (laughs) Because this guy dropped the ball. He's gone. Yeah, he left. So he'd been an outcast. And he's going to be a part of a group. And I'm sure he saw the good things about this. And uh, he doesn't know what all this means yet, but um, he must have been shocked that Jesus would even want him to follow him. Think about that. I don't have any way that I can offer anything to him. I've got all this money, but he's not after that. What this is all about is that Jesus is calling him. He had been picked before the foundation of the world, right? And this is that instant where he's going to follow Before, he had no inkling. And now Jesus comes along. And it reminds me of John 6, 37, 44. You see this come to life right there in our text today. And here's what Jesus says about this. Jesus says this. Jesus doesn't say this. Uh, Dennis doesn't say this. I agree with it. But here's what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. We drop down to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's what happened. You can say, well, wait a minute. Jesus went to him. Well, yeah, that's really what happens. Jesus comes to us. We don't go to Him, but there is the sense that we come to Him when He calls us, we come to Him for salvation. Justification. Justification. My faith. The grace that has been presented there. And how scandalous this has to be. As people observe what's going on, there has to be a crowd around anyway. And Jesus is showing total disregard, total disrespect for the religion of that day. And I'm sure people would have condemned Him on that fact. The social sensibilities that you must have when you go to certain people. You don't go to them. And Jesus is ignoring everything that society has put forth and religion has put forth. And today, we too can have pressures from religion and pressures from the society. But when it comes to following Christ, there is nothing more important in all of eternity than that. And people will be saying, what kind of a teacher who calls himself a a teacher or what kind of Messiah or a Savior of the world who is holy and righteous and has all this truth and done all the things that he's done... How can he come into the company of tax collectors? And I'm sure this set a precedent where now people are going to realize it doesn't matter who he goes to. They're all in the same boat. They're all alike. Some look worse than others. That doesn't matter. He's going to the ones that he so desires. The Mishnah... Actually, one one historian said this about the Mishnah and the Talmud. Um, There were scathing judgments 
on the tax collector. And they lumped the tax collector with thieves and murderers. Now that's giving you a little more picture of, of, of what he is. And uh, if, if a tax collector would even touch your house, your house is considered unclean. <laughs> Jewish contempt of the collectors. And matter of fact, it was okay to lie to tax collectors. So, it's okay to cheat on your taxes because look what he's doing is wrong anyway. He's evil. He's wicked. So, anyway, Jesus picks him up more or less. Um, can you imagine Matthew turning this down? Well, coming from the angle where he is at, and the way that he thought, before he would have never done that. But Jesus has a way of calling us, doesn't he? And he will make sure. And that's why it's called the irresistible call. It is an, uh, the call that is... There's a general call to all people. We are to call people into the kingdom. And Jesus did that. And then there's a specific call to the ones that He knows and not only know, but that He's already decided, chosen before the foundation of the world that are going to come to Him. And that's the specific call. This is more than a general call. And that's why Levi did what he did. Left everything. You did the same thing. Came to Christ who called you, you are leaving that old life, that old man. And the thing is, it's a constant thing. And it's a constant dying to self. And that's what we're getting at. We are selfish people. Selfish, selfish, selfish. That's the part of pride. That's the part of um, the man that's really hard. It's hard to let go. Yeah, we do it at the start, but that's, an, that's a daily basis. Jesus kept preaching all the way through His ministry that we must die to self. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow Me. Keep dying. You die, but then you keep dying. And so here we are. God had put it into His heart to follow Him. The cost of discipleship that's what it means. That's a that's a hard call to follow. To leave, to abandon, to forsake everything, whatever it is. It can either be it can even be family. You must hate your father and mother, Jesus says in Matthew ten. What does that mean, right? It means you, you have to be willing whatever comes in the way of Christ. Who and that's going to the extreme, isn't it? Your own family. I'm not saying split up families because of that, but he did split up families because some wanted to follow him, others didn't. And uh, if if you followed, uh, you were considered dead. You were outside the family. They you get out, and you don't even want, and you lose your job and everything. What a what a thing it was to uh, follow. And you know what? As Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he Jesus comes and bids us to die. Die. You're a Christian now? 
keep dying. It's a cost. It's a cost. He wrote that book, The Cost of Discipleship. And, you know, you, you think about that and you think, my, what, what am I supposed to give up? Well, we are convicted by the Word of God. And He will show sin in our lives stuff that we never knew that was even sin and even what we consider to be little things, all of a sudden it's brought up before us and we say, Lord, I'll take that away. Right? Well, we go on with this. Uh, Luke, matter of fact, adds he forsook all. There's no return. And he had cared so much about money. So greedy. He didn't care about what the people thought. He didn't care about what the synagogue leaders thought. He didn't care about anything. Now, he cared about following Christ. And he's, you know, he had been around the scum, the riffraff, the, the mafia. <laughs> the Galilean mafia was all around that area. And of course, it was like, almost like part of it. He drops all of this though and he follows Christ. Now we get into part two. Only two parts today. Starting at verse 15. And it happened that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. This is radical. We'll stop there at verse 15. This is a saved sinner. Levi, Matthew, has a house. The house is big. The house is huge because he has many, many tax collectors, sinners, and all sorts of people there. He was so excited what had happened. He invited to this great feast Jesus. You know, come on over to my house. I'm sure he was wanting to know everything that he could possibly learn from him. He just wants to be around him. And before it was, who did he have around him? The worst of the worst, just like himself. But so he brings those in, or they hear about what's going on. A lot of those same guys that he knew were ta- they were tax collectors too. What other friends is he going to have? They got to be the bad people. You notice I say bad. You know, we we tend to you know Christians we tend to put ourselves there are us and then there's the bad people. Well, if it were not for the grace of Christ and the very mercy of Christ, we're bad too. But uh, so there's an emphasis here that uh, Mark is putting, and of course Matthew will record this, and Luke records this this whole story. Um, Matthew was so thankful; he wants to show his thanks by having Jesus come into his house and feed him, and it must have been just wonderful food, you know. Who knows how many people he has that are probably waiting on them and and serving them and and making this food. I don't know. It just says that he has him there and they're dining. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but this is kind of like a revival, folks. I mean, when you have Matthew here and now his friends and then it says, they start following him. I think we have something really going on big. Um, 
these people that have been involved with probably crime and prostitution. Who knows who is there? The Galilean Mafia is in the house. And Jesus not only is in there, He's going to be teaching them. And look at the conversion. You have... Uh, it's kind of interesting. The Mishnah says that um, these sinners are people like this. They're gamblers. They're money lenders. And dove erasers. You have to love that one. That's, that's what the Mishnah says. Sabbath violators. And get this. Violent shepherds. <laughs> violent shepherds. Shepherds were considered filthy as well. So they looked down upon them. Thieves and thugs. Drunkards. Right? Prostitutes. All the dregs of society. All the people. The, the least likely people that you'd want to be around. And you know what? As far as the Jewish leaders and the people were concerned, these people would never go to heaven. No. That's it. Just the way they are. But the self-righteous, they were going to go to heaven. And the problem is, they were in the same boat. Unless they're converted. So the rejects of Galilee, the friends of Matthew, they're feasting together with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So if you really get a, a kind of a a thought that I don't want to be around those seedy type people. All you have to do is look at this text and it can convict you. And I know we have to be very careful and very wise and let the Lord lead you, but He doesn't draw lines with people. Aren't you thankful? Not many, uh, not many mighty, not many noble with the 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I mean, the lowly people. That's who He picks to bring into the kingdom. That's who we were. Wicked people. That's what they are. Wicked people. They didn't observe the rituals for purity. (laughs) They could care less. Picked out of the synagogue anyway. What's the name? But Jesus has the message of all message for these people and the ones who should be able to understand this don't get it. And when it says disciples, they were dining with Jesus and His disciples. And for there were many of them. There were, there were many people. Not only the, the twelve, you know. <clears throat> we're talking about people who are already following Him. Disciple is the first time we run into matetas. Math, learn. I think of math learning. So that's how I remember that word. Uh, but that's the first time that Mark has done that. So we're already into chapter 2 where he says there were disciples. Of course, we're familiar with that word. And so here we are. Um, Jesus and his disciples, and many of them, they were following him. A lot of other people then turn into disciples. And that's what, what we are. We're, we're disciples. We're learners. We're followers. We're followers of Christ. That's what we are. Disciples. And we run into the religious guys. We've just seen the saved sinner filled with gratitude. Now we look at the contempt of the religious leaders. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? 
What's he doing that? Now, I don't really know exactly where these guys are at and when the time frame is, but I can tell you it's interesting. They know exactly what's going on. They've been watching this. It's kind of like they're spying out Jesus anyway, aren't they? And even all the way up into Galilee here. And of course, there were uh, scribes and uh, scribes. These, in this case, scribes of the Pharisees. They're from the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, the Sadducees had scribes. The Pharisees had scribes. So all the sects, S-E-C-T-S, all those divisions that they had in in uh, Judaism, they all had the scribes. These these uh, writers. Uh, they belong to the sect of the Pharisees. Uh, they're just shocked beyond words. They, you know, okay, we've seen already uh, enough from him, and he's really causing a problem. But this, this friendship that he is doing is just this is the most horrible thing we've seen yet. And they would never eat with anybody that was a sinner, would they? They wouldn't do that. Uh, so their question is really intended as a rebuke. I think a stinging rebuke. What kind of man is this then? What is Look where he's at. Look who he's with. You believe that? Very vindictive are these scribes, and they're indicting Jesus. Boy, they're putting one up here. This right here is enough to get him out. You know, this is bad. Uh, they're saying these are Satan's people, and of course, what? Well, he's from Beelzebub too. You know, he's from say Oh, this is satanic. What's going on? That's what they're saying, the religious leaders. I want to tell you, there's a distinction between all false religions. All false religions and the Gospel. Even though those false religions can really look good on the outside, and that's boy, Judaism really looked good on the outside. The Gospel is a conflict between grace and law. Doing good. Works righteousness. A total conflict. There's only two religions. Really, there are only two religions. The gospel of grace, of Christianity. All the other religions, if they even have some kind of mixture, they are wrong. It is all of grace. Uh, So, you know, it's a divine accomplishment or it's a man's accomplishment. Or man helps out God in some way. That's not the case, is it? He came to justify the ungodly. The ungodly. That's us. We know that. I'll tell you what, it can it can sure make a difference of how we start to look at people. We can either say, Oh, those are dirty people, I don't even want to get around them, not even going to be ever be seen around them, or we can say that person needs Christ. Now, Lord, you know what, what you have in mind here. I don't know, um, but I, I can't look at him as be, me being a Pharisee and saying, "Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person." It's saying, "Lord, if you want to use me in this situation, however, um, please give me the wisdom on how I am to do it." it sometimes it can be dangerous. I'm going to say you have to watch out, but there's a cost, folks. In Christianity, there's really a cost. This is what Jesus did. This is what the disciples did. It's what the apostles did as they went in to uh, synagogues, as Paul did that, and as it spread out all across the world. They went to not only the Jewish 
religious people that were clean, they went to Gentiles as a whole. Really, that's what Paul's ministry was about. And they went to some of the seediest people that you can imagine. It's a cost. And we have to think differently. Well, the last part of this is where Jesus condemns the religious leaders. They've tried to condemn Him. They've tried to condemn anybody else that was sinners. And He starts using an analogy. The analogy of the physician. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If they're sinners, if they're sick with sin, dead, they need a spiritual healer, don't they? They must have somebody that spiritually heals them. He's a spiritual doctor who forgives sin on the inside. There is nothing, there is nobody, not even yourself, can do that. It takes an outside force. Of course, that being Christ, the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is like saying, okay, you're righteous? Well, I didn't come for you. As long as you continue to think you're righteous, you're going to die in your sins, in your own righteousness. And where I go, you'll never come. I accept your diagnosis, Jesus, I accept the delusion. You're the righteous. I'm not. But Jesus could be saying to them too, you're the righteous and you don't need Me. I can't offer you anything. I can't offer you anything in the sense because that's where they're at. They don't want to be changed, that's where they're at. And that's, uh, that's coming from the, the, the view of man. We know that God has His people, but at the same time, they're held responsible for their sin. And they will be judged uh, for their sin. He will heal the sinner. He goes to the sinners. You look in Romans 5, 6. Oh, Romans. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what people are. They're helpless and they're ungodly. Verse 8 says they're sinners. And in verse 10 it says that they're enemies. You want to know something? The church is made up of bad people. (laughs) The church is made up of not good people. It's not made up of people who think they're good. It's made up of people who know they're wicked not made of people who have achieved some kind of righteousness on their own. It's made up of people who received righteousness from Christ and from Christ alone. It all comes from God as a gift. This is the Gospel. The doctor is needed to forgive sins. Look in Luke 19.10. Oh, you ought to be familiar with this one too. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what He's about. That's what He did here with Matthew, didn't He? There's a call to repentance. That's really what it is. He's been you know, part of this Gospel. 
is um, repentance, uh, changing their thinking, a changing of their lifestyle. And you look in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. We get a little addition here about the same story. And he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. Now Mark, in the way that he wrote, he said, I came to call the, uh, did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And here, uh, as all said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that is the closure. And of course, repentance is granted. Uh, faith is granted. It's all a gift of God. The church is not made up of people who have attained to a, an acceptable degree with God, have they? Who know they can never attain. That's what it is all about. They know that they can never attain to that acceptable place before God. God forgives sin. These people who then experience that know that they were wretched, they acknowledge it, and they put their trust in Him. They put their trust so much that they are willing to give up whatever Christ says and follow Him and who knows what kind of road that He has set before us. He gives you one day. Each day. I need Your mercies each day, Lord. I need Your grace each day. We don't know how that road is going to turn. We could look back on it and say, oh, that's how He worked that. Maybe not even know that. But I want to tell you, He's working a work building a building. And he knows exactly what he's doing at every moment. And so, Jesus has called us and because of Him, we have His righteousness. Let's pray.